0: Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and today we have Joan Shenton with us, who is a producer with Minadel Productions. She's a former TV presenter and also an independent producer. She's been on radio for a long time, who has produced a very important documentary that you all must see called Positively False Movie at PositivelyFalseMovie.com. It is the inquiry of the AIDS virus, looking at it from its early beginnings, the fact that HIV has never been purified or isolated, and the potential that it is not the cause of AIDS. This is a very thorough scientific investigation into this question because so many people have died, will die, and are currently dying because the science of HIV is wrong. That is the premise of this film. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Joan Shenton to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning and good afternoon
1: in London. Hello. Hello, Kim. Thank you for that. It's very nice to talk to you.
0: Well, I think you're a very brave woman. I have to tell you, you're a very, very brave woman and you're a co-producer and all the people involved in this, everybody, including the original financiers of the research, doing all the digitization that needed to be done because you really are taking something that has been, for the most part, totally unexamined by the general public on the science side, looking at the process, looking at the politics of it, but mostly the science of it and saying this whole thing doesn't fit. Talk about how you got involved in making this film, which is awaiting distribution right now.
1: Well, long before we made this film, um, in 1987, um, we came across the work of Peter Duesberg, Professor Peter Duesberg of Berkeley, California. And uh, he was challenging Dr. Robert Gallo on HIV as the cause of AIDS. Uh, Duesberg was saying HIV was a dormant passenger retrovirus and that it couldn't possibly be the cause of AIDS um, and that really the whole AIDS infectious hypothesis was wrong um, and that plague terror associated with it was wrong. And so we made four documentaries for network television in this country The first was called AIDS, the Unheard Voices. Then we made The AIDS Catch. Then we made AZT, Cause for Concern, and AIDS and Africa. Um, These films, the first one won the Royal Television Society Award, which was a huge accolade, and we thought we were going to change the world. But little by little, the orthodoxy started slamming down on us and using all the tactics that the establishment can use, complaining about us, calling me loony, um, writing to the head of Channel 4 saying they had no right to show these programs. And little by little, we were squeezed out. um, And so many years went by, and uh, a few years ago... um, a doctor in Vienna called Dr. Christian Fiala, uh, who's a member of the group called Rethinking AIDS, which is based in, in um, well, it's not based in America, but it's, it's actually headed by David Crow in Canada, and it comprises thousands of people, including hundreds of very senior scientists around the world, because these views are not obviously... Bind. These views, I'm simply reflecting the views of scientists who challenge the infectious hypothesis for AIDS. And so what happened was that um, this doctor in Vienna um, wanted us to make use of the archive, really, that Meditel Productions, our little production company, had gathered over a period of 25 years. And so... What I did was write the story of those 25 years of what had happened and use the best pieces of footage that we had, including, for example, a visit, well, right across Africa for Channel 4. We went to Uganda, Tanzania, Côte d'Ivoire, um, Kenya, um, Cameroon, and then later to South Africa and interviewed President Thabo Becky who was deeply concerned about the fact that um, very toxic drugs were being offered to pregnant women who had tested antibody positive for HIV. And so all this gathered together meant that um, I wrote the story and put together this film, which runs 94 minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the terrifying things about the whole exercise was that uh, over the years, uh, I linked up with groups like Heal New York who were watching in the late 80s and early 90s thousands of young men, usually young men it was, who are uh, dying. They were usually gay young men dying of the side effects of AZT and they became so, so desperately concerned about this because nobody survived the early doses of AZT. So a whole generation of young gay men were killed, really, by the high doses of AZT, and yet nobody would listen. And this was all based on the idea that HIV was transmitted sexually and could kill you. So a whole generation of young people also grew up believing that sex equals AIDS equals death. And Duesberg's, point has always been that it is it is a condition, the immune suppression, human immune virus suppression, is um, is immune suppression from a very, very high-risk lifestyle. You know, um, a lot of recreational drug use, not sleeping, not eating, disco, dancing, tremendously fast-tracked sex life, you know, multiple sexual partners, multiple sexually transmitted diseases multiple antibiotics given for that. And if you look back, you will see that the people who had AIDS were really the people who were from the risk group. It never, ever went into the um, the heterosexual community. We never did have the, the plague, the heterosexual plague that everyone said we would have. So it never did behave like an infectious disease. However, in the process of all of that, um, there was a group in Perth called the Perth Group, and that's Eleni Eliopoulos and Dr. Valander Turner, who not only agreed with Jewsburg that HIV is not the cause of AIDS, but actually did significant research into the fact that HIV has never been isolated or purified.
0: Can you explain that so that we have a frame of reference if it's never been yes. isolated or purified, why is that a relevant standard or a process that should be done?
1: Because there are certain ways in the scientific protocol that you identify a retrovirus or a virus, and it's through centrifugation.
0: So the bottom line is there's this process with centrifugation where the virus is isolated and purified to look at it. Is yes, that correct?
1: Professor Luc Montagnier, who claimed to have discovered HIV and got the Nobel Prize for it. Um, and later, you know, there was a deal done between America and France and Gallo and Montagnier agreed to share the discovery of HIV. Luc Montagnier in an interview said HIV had never been purified. But if we move away from the purification point, the point that Perth Group is really making is that HIV is identified through surrogate markers, that is, through indirect markers to a group of proteins that are said to be specific to HIV, right? So when you have an ELISA test or a Western block, um, it is simply an antibody-positive test, right? Now, what they point out is that the proteins that are being tested for are endogenous they're in all of us anyway and that if we are deeply immune suppressed for whatever reason you know ill health poverty malnutrition um, we those those proteins are raised our antibody profile becomes raised and we test positive to HIV to the HIV test which is called ELISA or western blot so pregnant women can test positive. There are seventy conditions in the orthodoxy where the orthodoxy admits that if you have lupus, for example, which is a condition I had when I was much younger, you can test positive for HIV. They call it a false positive. But what the post group is saying is that there's no such thing as a positive. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes. So, so now
1: there are these two. Avenues. Duisburg saying HIV exists, but is a dormant passenger, and the Perth group saying HIV has never been isolated, and therefore, uh, uh, you know, and what we're testing for is proteins, uh, protein particles that are in us already, um, and they are, and that's where it's got stuck. And there is no funding for research to take this further. All research is HIV based.
0: It would seem to me that whenever there's no funding for any other view other than the orthodoxy in any area, it means to me that there's an agenda, not only an agenda, but big money behind keeping it understood a particular way. There's huge investment and that's what you're dealing with. Well, it's the same thing with cancer. The way that most cancer is treated, most people die anyway. So, you know, people are investment in burn, cut, poison. The whole film came out about that. So as long as you define the disease, whatever it is, or the symptomology a certain way, as long as you limit the causation, the naming of what it is, you block out all the observations around what it is to be able to deal with it. So apparently the AZT, there's big money in AZT. We have former presidents involved in bringing it to developing nations like Africa, Uganda, et cetera.
1: Indeed, yeah, yeah.
0: You have international alliances. You have people saying this is the drugs we're bringing in. You've got Bill Gates involved in things regarding yeah. drugs across the world and GMO. So you have these force majeures of celebrities and People involved, but whenever people are invested in the definition of something, there's danger lurking in it.
1: You're right, Kim. And it's good that you mention all of this because, you know, the power of President Clinton, Mandela, um, the now late Elizabeth Taylor's support for AIDS, the power of these enormous figures is is you know, terribly difficult. But not only that, in the early days when we were challenging HIV as the cause of AIDS, um, people like the Terrence Higgins Trust here that was a gay support group, they were incredibly hostile because people like to feel, I think, that they know what is causing the death of their loved ones. They don't want the drug the rug pulled from under their feet, you know saying, no, it wasn't that. It was actually the lifestyle of the person who has died. Um, so they can become extremely angry and hostile. And, I mean, we were taken to the Broadcasting Complaints Commission by the Terence Higgins Trust, um, also the Wellcome Foundation, who make AZT. They were Burroughs Welcome, you know, but they're called the Wellcome Foundation here. And um, we had enormous adversaries, really,
0: I can see on several levels of this how you can have adversaries. In fact, people hate you and think you're just denialist because the last thing that any group of people want is to be told that their lifestyle is the cause of their death. In some ways, it doesn't translate. What do you say in terms of the African people or Ugandan people that are dying of, quote, this thing called AIDS? I mean,
1: if you've um, suffered malnutrition and uh, pathogenic assault from dirty water, and you've had malaria seven times before you're seven, you will be in an extremely uh, vulnerable position, your immune system, and you will have a raised antibody profile. Um, You know, poverty and malnutrition are classic examples of why people test positive. Uh, you, You will know that in America, the black community, many, many people positive and they are usually from deprived areas. Um, It's not just the fast-track gay lifestyle, it's um, many other risk factors. Of course, there are also people who, haemophiliacs, who have been given masses of factor 8, injected every day into their veins, will create a high antibody profile there are certain clinical conditions can make you test positive. But, I mean, if you have malaria, TB, syphilis, you have what they call sticky cells, and you will test positive.
0: Very interesting. Not everybody,
1: but it's likely.
0: I've only seen the promotional video on PositivelyFalseMovie.com, but without giving away what's in the film... How do you respond to the fact that there's a symptomology with respect to when people are told they have AIDS? Where are those terrible looking things on their body coming from? Well, explain what that is.
1: It's called, um. what the, the first two main symptoms that showed up in the 80s, um, which was called AIDS, was Kaposi's sarcoma, which are these lesions on the skin, these pink lesions on the skin. And a kind of pneumonia called pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, which is a kind of semi-fungal or mycotic attack uh, on the lungs. Or, and this, and especially the capuchy sarcoma, which one hardly sees now, was actually um, attributed in very early days to the very high use of something called poppers, anal nitrites, which are both carcinogenic and mutagenic.
0: That's interesting. So, in the
1: very, very early days, AIDS along the West Coast where you are, and particularly when it was first discovered around Orange County, California, was called Gay Related Immune Deficiency GRID, G R I D. Okay. And then, in the very early, early stages, it was said to be caused by taking poppers and amyl nitrites. Um, and, you know, I still think that those symptoms in those communities were caused by amyl nitrate use because it was used so, so freely.
0: I really would like to talk about Robert Gallo. I know that he was the one who was said to discover it, but what I had heard in my interview with Len Horowitz, Dr. Len Horowitz, is that from Len's perspective, he feels he has enough evidence on Dr. Gallo to point to him as the creator of the AIDS virus. I'm sure it's not popular, but I did do an interview with him, and I did listen to him. What do you think?
1: I'm not a follower of the conspiracy theory at all. I think, you know, that the spread of AIDS would have been entirely different if it had been something that was like germ warfare or created. The spread of AIDS has stayed inside the risk communities and people who are poor and ill. You know, it's not around the world in the way that anything would if it was like germ warfare.
0: Okay. Let me ask you this, and I'm not trying to make a conspiracy theory out of it, but it is strange to me that the very day that he announces publicly that he's discovered what it is, he's filed patents on it. That's disturbing to me.
1: But you see, that makes absolute sense. Robert Gallo won the race, really, against Luc Montagnier and claimed that his family of viruses, HTLV family, of which HTLV3, he said, was the cause of AIDS, whereas Montagnier had earlier said LAV was the cause of AIDS and had circulated his LAV round to Gallo's lab. Um, In the end, Montagnier and the French lawyers accused Gallo of stealing LAV and calling it HTLV3. So then there was a huge shenanigans with the French and the American lawyers. And it was considered that uh, it was unseemly when so many young people were dying to continue litigation. So they decided to to do a deal. And President Reagan and Chirac were drawn in. And a deal was done whereby they would both agree uh, to call the virus, HIV, and not continue the litigation and have some share of the profits. I can't remember the exact distribution. So um, that meant that the Pasteur Institute and Gallo, because he put his name on on the patent in America, um, made um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars.
0: Well, probably hundreds of billions now.
1: Yeah, hundreds of billions
0: of dollars. (laughs) A little different than 100,000, but I know what you mean. What I meant to say earlier was not that I think that AIDS was created, but that I had interviewed somebody, Len Horowitz, who asserts very strongly that Dr. Robert Gallo created the virus in the United States labs. We don't need to go on about him because he has his own take on this. But I want to go back to the part about the virus itself. When you say that early on that people used to think that or still think that sex equals HIV equals AIDS equals death. Even I was one of the people who thought that you have sex with the wrong person, you die.
1: Well, it was a tragedy. You know, there was something called the one fuck wonder, um, which was that if anyone tested positive, they looked back 10 years and and said, maybe it was 10 years ago with so-and-so at 7pm in the evening. And, you know, I mean, can you imagine the agony of all of that? But they were always looking for a specific infectious cause or person to blame. And as you know, there are people in prison for life or, you know, on what's called... um, assault, uh, grievous, what's it called? Sexual assault and all this uh, yes. for making love with somebody because, uh, when they, they knew they were positive. Now, um, it's a very, very difficult situation, that, because...
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but in a sense, really what you're saying, what you're declaring, is that AIDS is not infectious. Yeah. And that what we're even referring to it as is not what it is.
1: Yes. It's, Certainly not infectious. Um, It hasn't behaved like an infectious disease. Um, AIDS is basically acquired immune deficiency. And, you know, acquired immune deficiency has existed long before AIDS came on the map. In Africa, there was something called Slim disease, where people suffered cachexia, which means, you know, you you lose body weight and you die um, because of the risk, uh, the risk lifestyle that people lived in Africa. So, um, you know, the actual sexual transmission and this whole idea that these lorry drivers racing up and down the motorways of Africa are spreading AIDS everywhere, and then that... Uh, charities, mainly from America but other places too, were arriving in their Toyota Jeeps, and I saw this, distributing condoms everywhere and telling everyone it was their fault that they had AIDS because they'd made love to somebody new, completely distorted everyone's perception of love and sex. I mean, I'm not saying that prostitution doesn't exist. Of course it does. But um, to actually blame... Those lorry drivers and those superhighways for the spread of AIDS was completely wrong. What was happening was that um, a few maternity clinics were used by the big research groups like the Medical Research Council and the World Health Organization to check the number of women who were coming in who were HIV positive. Now. It is well known that women can actually produce antibodies against the fetus, um, which can make them test positive, and especially, I think it is with the second child. So uh, these maternity clinics were used, and the figures extrapolated into a terrifying kind of scenario that the whole of Africa was going to um, get AIDS. People even said there would be disturbances political in, in the country because the population would be decreased to such an extent. Well, Peter Duesberg and Dr. Fiala and various other academics have produced a, a very learned article in which they refute that and, and point to the fact that um, the population in Africa has gone up by leaps and bounds um, since AIDS was first announced. Um, however, you know that article, which was written for Medical Hypotheses, was withdrawn and banned, and the editor was sacked by Elsevier, actually the mega publishers, because it was suddenly discovered that somehow this heretical viewpoint had um, had been had been allowed an article in a a web journal called Medical Hypotheses. So it's a very dangerous thing that's been happening. And Duesberg had to undergo, recently, a two-year investigation at Berkeley uh, because such a big complaint was made as to whether or not he was fit to be a professor at Berkeley. All this is terrifying. I mean, it's a witch hunt, really.
0: This is how science is obstructed. This also is true with respect to climate change as well. Another area where they dismiss climatologists and scientists all over the world. They don't give them funding. They fire them. They ruin their reputations. Now there's a whole hit campaign about anybody that doesn't accept the rollout of climate change. And they're put down and vilified. The bottom line is the obstruction of science is what's going on in multiple areas,
1: multiple areas. Yeah. And it's very powerful because, you see, when they were doing the testing for AFT to allow the drug, you know, the FDA requires phase 1, 2, and 3 trials, um, they really took over uh, all the major centers in America, university centers in America, so... A single dissenting voice is not going to carry any sway. And in the early days, Burroughs Welcome was funding the, um, the trials. And it's well known that there was cheating in the trials. That's been well documented. And John Lauritsen in America has written about that. Um, and he got, he and others got, the, got hold of the uh, Freedom of Information papers to show that, that at one of the trial centers, the monitor, was an employee of Burroughs Welcome, took uh, the report papers home and tip out the side effects in the group that were taking the drug. Wow. Um, but but you see, in the end, the FDA said, oh, no, but that was just at one center. Well, but they didn't inspect all the centers carefully. This was a special inspection they did at one of them. And there were resignations at the FDA. There were some brave scientists there who said they couldn't stay any longer because how could, you know, this kind of skullduggery be be condoned and not pointed out, you know, I mean, really and truly it's frightening.
0: I think when you have political leaders that band together like George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton, and I think Bill Clinton is so articulate and so brilliant. And he's such a great speaker and he's so charismatic. It's so difficult to stand back and look and really look, look inside this and say, there's something wrong with this. Even yeah. though it's all under well, the auspices, what they're doing in developing nations by, quote bringing AZT and making it cheaper is yeah. not and the at least issue. The
1: PZT, it's the new cocktail, the protease inhibitors, because now... They know AZT is dangerous, so they give only a small amount of it in these cocktails, which are called protease-inhibitor cocktails. Um, But, of course, people like former President Clinton do believe they're doing the right thing.
0: I agree. They
1: haven't studied the picture. The person who studied it was President Mbeki, but he nearly lost his presidency because of it.
0: Talk a little bit about him.
1: I will. Just let me clarify one thing. AZT is now not used... On its own, it's used as a sort of combination in much, much, much lower doses. They won't drop it completely because it'll mean that they were wrong if they drop it completely. But what um, what we have now is a set of protease inhibitor cocktails, which are anti-inflammatory, antifungal, and uh, antibiotic which is very helpful if somebody's not well because they can clean up, clean up infections in an immune-suppressed body. The trouble is they have huge side effects if they're taken for a lifetime. And the problem here is that they are, once given, you're expected to take them for life because if you stop taking them, the virus will get you. Now, with cancer chemo, they give it for short periods of time. They don't give it forever forever. But with these drugs, they give the poor um, people the drugs forever. Not all of them get these side effects, but um, some of them, um, and you know in, a, in on the west coast of America, there's, there are many young people who have had what's called crick's belly, from crick's iron and camel's hump, and um, huge distortions of the lipid, fat distribution in the body, women who were taking it going up 10 sizes in dresses, and it, 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 it also has affected people's facial makeup, and therefore um, many people have undergone plastic surgery to try and get rid of the side effects of the protease inhibitor cocktail. So that, that's the danger that they produce. Um, and many other people, of course, who've tested positive, and we know many of them through Rethinking AIDS and the Immunity Resource Foundation, have never taken any of these protease inhibitors and are still alive and well 27 years on. Amazing. So Amazing. It, it is amazing. So that was that. Now, you you asked me about President Mbeki. Um, it is that he decided to read all the scientific papers of Peter G. Berg's in those early days, and then he read about the Perth Group and their work, and he walked the walk, and he understood the argument, and he decided to take a stand and not encourage these big multinationals to bring in these hugely dangerous drugs that were going to be given to pregnant women. But he was accused of actually killing these pregnant women and of being just... Conscious only of the cost of the drug, and that he was being penny pinching, but he gave us a, a fantastic interview. I mean, he is so eloquent, and you know, he he had a presidential panel, and we, they, all these scientists from around the world, went there. But um, unfortunately, he didn't continue in his presidency, so we haven't um, taken on these. Trials that came out of the conference have not been done. Um, all this needs to be done still.
0: He did not return to the presidency of South Africa, and my question is: Was he concerned to go public at first?
1: When well, he did go public, no, I know he was brave enough to hold the to hold this presidential panel, um, and uh, there were two of them actually. He tried to get funding together for a series of scientific trials, but um, as far as I know, they haven't come to fruition.
0: What is your hope for the film?
1: If you look back, nothing has happened since we were shouting about this in the 80s and up to the mid-90s. It's extraordinary, but it's just remained in aspect and we haven't really succeeded in changing the world at all. I want to revive people's interest by showing them the history of this. It can't be tapped under the carpet neatly. Um, And one day the truth will out, but it will take a generation or two still. But at least we will have documented the whole span of the scientific work that criticized the orthodoxy and was rejected.
0: You're very brave, and I know this is a calling with you because my sense is that you can't not do what you're doing.
1: Well, Celia Farber, who's an amazing um, journalist, and she is an AIDS dissident, and she has written extensively about this. She started off with Spin Magazine with a column called Words from the Front, which was commissioned by Bob Guccione Jr. She's just an inspired writer. She always says, If you have the knowledge, you can't walk away from it. The other thing she says, which I love quoting, she says, Truth is like an airplane that's in a holding pattern. One day it has to come down and land.
0: (laughs) That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. If the distribution of the film takes too long to get going, are you going to release it online?
1: Yes, I think we will eventually.
0: So your timeline is as soon as possible for distribution?
1: We've still got about another five months to go on. You see, the Festival Circuit it takes about a year. Right. And we wait a minute more than we've got another six months at least to see what happens.
0: Well, I want to thank you for the work that you've done on this subject. It's a very, very complex, delicate subject because it involves the death of so many people. It has political ramifications. It has scientific ramifications right from the get-go when the science of HIV has been wrong. It affects the gay community, the Afro-American communities, and other communities. We've all believed that AIDS is a certain something and been told that it's treated with a certain something. Most of us have been brainwashed about it.
1: Thank you for being such a sensitive interviewer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with Joan Shenton. She is the co-producer of the new documentary, Positively False, Birth of a Heresy, which traces the challenge over the past 25 years into the scientific orthodoxy, which maintains that HIV is the cause of AIDS. Thank you for being with us. For those of you who are listening Please listen to this carefully. Go to the trailer that's on the site. If you know people who are in a position to distribute this at a very high level, contact Joan. And thank you so much for your time.
1: And thanks a million. It's www.positivelyfalsemovie.com. I'd like to say thank you, of course, to the person, Dr. Christian Fiala, who funded um, this film, Um, and also, of course, to my co-producer, Andy Reese, without him, it would never have got made. So there you go. And associate producer, Mark Wood. (laughs) So there we are. I've done my thank yous.
0: God bless you on your path.